Okay, you know, in life we encounter wonderful people. Amen? I mean, look around you in this church. Look at the people who are here. Look at the times that we have spent together, the years that we have spent together. It's amazing. And I look forward every Sunday to coming here and looking at and seeing your faces, to seeing how you're doing, what's going on in your life, what has changed, what has transpired. We were back there talking about the joy of being old. And let me tell you something. There is a great joy in saying, I am still here. Whether you're 60 or 70 or 80, Whatever that age would be, it's a pleasure, it's a blessing to still be here, amen? But there are some people in life, and I encountered one this week. There are some people who are bitter, and they are angry, and they lash out at everybody who is not bitter and angry. And you know, some people, they just come at you sideways, you're not sure why they're angry with you. You're not sure why are you attacking me? Why are you saying these terrible things? I encountered a person like that. And I'm telling you something. Their words can be harsh. They can be injurious. And they leave you asking this question. Who am I? Why did this happen to me? Who am I that you would attack me? And they make you sometimes wonder, am I doing life the right way? And I say that only because this encounter this week left me wondering, do I need to be in this place? Do I need to be in a job where I get subjected to this kind of treatment? And that makes you wonder sometimes. But you know what? In accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, and I say this on the firm hope that every single person here has accepted Christ as Savior. When you do that, there are three actions that happen on Christ's behalf that change our lives. Three actions that enable us to deal with negative, angry, hurtful people. If you've ever been hurt by somebody, by their words, by their actions, by their inattention, or by, by the things that they've done, if you've ever been hurt, this is for you. This sermon is yours. We are in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're going to be going through the rest of the book of Romans. After we finish the book of Romans, I may do something I have not done in a very long time. I'm giving you time to get to Romans 10, by the way. I'm giving you time to get there. I want you to see these words today. I think we may actually do a sermon series. Thank you, Charles Stanley. He has inspired me to maybe instead of doing a book, simply focus on one subject. Who am I in Christ? Who am I in Jesus Christ? How does being a believer change everything about the way I think and feel and see and do? You're going to see some of it here, but I think I want to do a series on who we are in Christ because we are amazing people who have been remade in the image of Jesus. Okay, but let's look at this. Three actions that are a result of accepting Christ into our lives. Three, three actions that impact our lives. First one is this, Romans 10.1. You are set free by love. A lot of people in the world do not feel loved. A lot of people I encounter have been hurt by people who said, I love you. I love you. And then they treat you terribly. They are trash people. They are people who just do not have any feeling for you at all. And they just use you, abuse you, and then they want to lose you. Um, I have had experiences with these types of people. And let me tell you something. 
no matter what someone else says or does to you, you have been set free from them by love. Take a look at this, Romans 10.1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, meaning Israel, is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God. Remember that. The Jews had zeal for God, a passion for this God of their fathers, but, he says, not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. Stop right there. What does it mean to have a zeal for God, but to have nothing according to knowledge? People often tell me this. You can't look at other people and, and judge them by the way that they live their life. They have a, a zeal, they have a passion for God. In fact, some people are very sincere in their religious faith. They could be a Muslim, they could be a Hindu, they could belong to one of these offshoots of Christianity that focuses on one aspect or another. Let me ask you something, have you ever known someone who was absolutely sincere but sincerely wrong. Now think about that. Many people act on a sincere motivation. Very sincere. They are very heartfelt. But when you look at what they say they believe, you know they are sincerely wrong. That was the Jews. They were sincere in their Old Testament religious zeal, taught by the Pharisees, taught by the Sadducees, by the scribes. They were religious people, but they were sincerely wrong in the way that they approached God because they had not submitted to God's righteousness. Instead, they had created their own righteousness. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We don't need the law for righteousness. We have Jesus Christ. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or to, or to the dead. On the contrary, who will go to the abyss? Because Christ cannot be brought up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you in your mouth. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. Deuteronomy 30, 14 and 15. But the word is very near you. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites. He is speaking to them at the end of his life. He is about to die and he knows it. Moses has sinned against God by striking the rock and not speaking to it. God has said to Moses, you can see the promised land, but you will not go into it. This is the price you pay for disobeying me. You will see the land, but you will not go into it. But the word is very near. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it, Moses says. The word of God is there. It's present. It's not some faraway mountain. It's not some faraway place. We don't have to go into heaven or descend into hell to bring it back. It's right there in front of you. And I've given it to you so that you can obey it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Moses will go on and tell them, you're going to go into this promised land. Now you have a choice. Joshua says it this way. 
Choose you this day whom you will serve, the God of your fathers in Egypt or the gods of the peoples who are beyond the Jordan. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. We will serve the God who brought us out, brought us to Mount Sinai, gave us the law, and brought us now to the precipice of the promised land. Choose whom you will serve, those gods, those gods, or the God of our fathers. It's an amazing thing. You see, the message of the gospel is right there. Not some hidden secret, not some crazy mystical thing you have to go through. He goes on. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. It doesn't say if you go to church every day. It doesn't say if you give money to the church. It doesn't say if you do these 10 rituals or these 10 acts. Do you believe in your heart? Do you confess with your mouth? We're going to do VBS again. If you do VBS more than once in this church, you will run into the ABCs of salvation. You admit to God that you're a sinner. You believe in Christ. You confess with your mouth. That's the ABCs of salvation. Now, any junior high student who's been through VBS can do that. Any high school student going through VBS can do that. Any parent who's been exposed to it can do that. So the testimony of how we come to faith in Christ is not hard. If someone says to you, Miss Burt, how can I be saved? Don't say, talk to the pastor. They don't got to come to me. They don't know me. They don't love me. They know you. They love you. They can hear the same thing from you that they can hear right here in the word of God. Confess. Believe. That's all you have to do. You don't have to get your life straight. You don't have to give up this and give up that. You come to the Lord as dirty and filthy as you are, and he makes you right. You are the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter coming home. God cleans you up after you make the movement to come home. Doesn't matter how bad it was. God will always accept his children home. Can I get an amen from somebody? Because there's the truth right there, right there in front of you. The one who believes with his heart results in righteousness, and the other one confesses with his mouth, resulting in salvation. Consider this, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, those who say, I am a believer, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in his word, the Holy Bible. No, I don't change it. No, I don't modify it. No, I don't take this out and take this out because I'm not comfortable with it. I believe in Jesus Christ. Remember I told you, saying you believe in God is a useless and silly thing. The world is full of gods, small g. When you say, I believe in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are specifically identifying yourself as a Christian. And that is what God requires. Identify who your faith is in. So whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, hymns, haws, said, well, I kind of believe the Bible. Yeah, but maybe not that part over there. Yeah, I believe the Bible is a good book. Oh, I love, I hate it when they call the Bible the good book. It's not a good book. It's a life-saving book. It's a book of absolute truth. It's not just good. It is God-inspired. We need to elevate the Bible above everything ever written on the earth. 
because it is the only book inspired by the very breath and movement of God. Therefore, it is completely binding on all of us. The Bible shows you when you messed up. If you start changing it or modifying it or taking stuff out, there's a lot of churches that won't preach these verses, these verses, those verses, because they make people angry. Well, good. Let it make them angry. God's word is a sharp sword that divides right down to the soul, that shows us who we are and how we get straight with God. Amen? It's not supposed to feel good all the time. Sometimes God's truth hurts. Just like when your mama or daddy came to you when you were a small child and said, son, you screwed up. Why'd you do that? You know, we're disappointed in you. Parents have to say harsh things to children. Can I get an amen? You have to say the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. But you say it because you love them and you want to correct them and you want to bring them the right direction. There's no mother on earth that hasn't had to spank a child at least once. Maybe you didn't lay a hand on them, but you had to lay the smack down on them. Can I get an amen? For mothers and grandmothers and aunties and uncles and, you know, sisters and stuff. You got to tell them the truth. Let's go on. So you have been set free by love. Even if you are not an Israelite, you have been set free by the love of God. Therefore, if someone else doesn't love you, so what? If someone else cannot acknowledge your worth, if somebody else wants you to change in order for them to be with you, then they ain't worth being, they're not worth being with. Amen? I have a friend who keeps running into these people that want her to change. You got to change yourself. You got to accept this and accept that. No, you don't. You can cling to Jesus Christ and he will accept you. But he has these rules for you to protect you, to keep you safe. Second thing I want you to see, second action that happens. You are filled with faith. When you accept Jesus Christ, something happens to your head and your heart that changes how you see the world and how the world sees you. Romans 10, 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, between the, because the same Lord richly blesses all who call upon him. That's, that's nice, right? No distinction between the Jew and the Greek. Now, the Jews would have hated that. They see themselves as different only because they are genetically descended from Abraham. He sees them all because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call upon him. God doesn't care what color your skin is. He doesn't color, care what country you were born in. He doesn't care what your native language is. He only cares that you cling to his son. That's the truth right there. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? Consider that question. How can someone call upon Christ if nobody has told them who Christ is? And how can they believe without hearing the word of God? They can't. And how can they hear without a preacher? In that word right there, preacher, proclaimer, one who makes a statement. I want you to take that word out and stick your name in there. How can they hear without you speaking the word of God to them? There's people that you know I will never meet. People that you encounter I will never encounter. I can preach to you because you put yourself here. You can preach to them because they put you in their life. How can they know about Jesus if you don't tell them? There's people who will never set foot in a church. 
Can I get an amen there? You got them family members, don't you? They won't come to church. They don't believe in it. It makes them uncomfortable. They don't believe in preachers because preachers have lied to them or manipulated them or cheated them in the past. They will never come through these doors. But they will sit with you over coffee. They will listen to you. and They will listen to your testimony. Now that puts a heavy burden on you, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Because it's the same burden that God's put upon me. We are the preachers, the proclaimers, the teachers of the world. And how can they preach unless they are sent? There's a reason why we as Southern Baptists take this money up and we give it to the association. And the association gives it to, to, to the U.S. fund because we send pastors and preachers and teachers all over the world. We send missionaries everywhere. We send missionaries to the United States. There are places in America where no pastors ever set foot. Because there's no church. There's no one to pay them. There's no one to make that possible. We pay them so they can go there and they can do the work that God called us all to do. Amen. We cannot all go to Appalachia. We cannot all go to Wyoming or Montana or Idaho. We cannot all go to the God-forsaken lands like Southern California. We can't all go there. But we can make sure someone goes there. We can make sure that somebody is there to preach the word of God to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, but not all obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message of Christ. I have a friend of mine who believes that sermons should be five minutes and worship services should be an hour. He's wrong. I love him, but he's wrong. You know why he's wrong? Faith comes by what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. I love our hymns, amen? I love our hymns, I love our music, because they, they, they give us a little glimpse of, of Christ. But without the word of God, the words of God himself, how can they be converted to faith? How can they be brought to a believing faith? And that's just it. That's why we focus on the message more than anything else. Verse 18, but I ask, did they not hear? Did Israel not hear the truth? Yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to the whole world and their words to the end of the world. The words of the Israeli prophets still are in our Old Testament. The words of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all those things exist. That voice went throughout the world in the first century. When the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit was descended on Jerusalem, it says there were people gathered there from every nation under heaven because the word of Yahweh had gone out to the world and people had been converted to this knowledge of this God who made them and loved them. And they had gathered in Jerusalem to worship him. And then they heard that God had sent a Messiah, the Christ, Jesus they heard it, and they took it back home. Remember, he's writing to the Romans. Who founded the church in Rome? It wasn't pastors or preachers or seminary students. It was founded by people who were in Jerusalem who heard about the Messiah on the day of Pentecost. They went back to Rome. They took the truth with them. And without pastors or preachers or teachers or seminary-educated people, they let the word of God go free in Rome. And a church was born, not born by pastors or teachers or conventions 
or, or authorized personnel. It was born because people who believed spoke to everybody around them. That to me is amazing. Acts 1, 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Don't worry about the future. The future is going to come when it comes. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The word witness, by the way, you know it really well. Martus. Martyr. The word martyr doesn't mean someone who dies. It means someone who testifies. Someone who speaks the truth. Now, why do we equate that with being a martyr? In the past, those who spoke about Jesus boldly died. Whether it was under Nero or whether it was under the Catholic Inquisition. Those who spoke the truth of Jesus Christ died. They were martyr, martus. They were martyred. Are we willing to die for the message of Christ? We don't, we don't put people on crosses. We don't feed them to lions anymore. But in the world where the public holds you up to criticism and ridicule, believe me, you cling to the things of Jesus Christ. You say that every word of God in the Bible is true. People will not like you. People will turn on you. They will not accept you because you won't accept the sinful way that they want to live their life. If you go through the word of God, there are things that will step on all of our toes. Can I get an amen? But it has to. We have to be subjected to that so God can push us to grow beyond those, those boundaries and those limitations that we have from our past. It's good to be a martus, a martyr. You will be my martus in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. There's the first missionary sending, people. It's not enough to testify about Jesus at home to your children. It's not enough to testify in your own little town of Rye or Hardin or wherever you happen to live. You've got to go out. Go out to the world. Go out to everyone. Don't stay where you're comfortable. Go where you're not comfortable. The word apostle means those who are sent out. The apostles went out and preached the word of God. In fact, it was, it was I believe, Thomas is the one who made it all the way on the Roman roads to India. Now, Thomas travels all the way to India, and he's there, and he's preaching Jesus. And do you know how well they received him? They killed him. There's a town in India right there on the border where he got to, and that's where they killed him. They killed him for what he was preaching. He was a martus, a martyr, a witness. That place is still there today. It's still celebrated as the point at which the apostle got and died. Would he do it again? Yep. He did it then. People today do it. We go to places where we are not welcome. We go to places where we are in danger and we share Jesus. Last thing I want you to see is this. You've been set free by love. If you do not know you are loved, you've never read the Bible. I tell you that the truth. Second, you are filled with faith. There is a filling that comes from the Holy Spirit. There's a power and an intensity that God breathes into his people. A burning desire to preach the word of God. Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm ticked off at you. You keep telling me these terrible things. I'm sick of preaching this message, Lord. I'm just going to shut up and not say anything. I love when people say that. It never works. I'll say shut up and say nothing. 
He says, but then when I said it, the word of God was like a fire shut up in my bones and I couldn't restrain it. I had to let it go. That's how the love of God should be in you. It should, it should burst at the, at the seams to try and get out of you, to get to other people. You know, you, you look at young people in love and they're, they're hysterical. They're also sickening, but that's okay. They're always falling all over each other. They're looking at each other and all that good stuff. Why? Because the love is bursting at the seams. It's trying to get out. It's trying to express itself. It's a shame that we lose that as we get older. It's a shame that we lose that exuberance and that passion. We don't have to, but we do anyways. So the third thing that you see is this. We are surprised by our adoption. Did you know that you were adopted? Every single person who believes in Jesus Christ is adopted. I could also use the word transplanted. It means the same thing. Romans 10, 19. But I ask, do Israel not understand? First, Moses said, this I will make you jealous by those who are not a nation. Ooh, he tells his people, you are the nation of God, but I'm going to make you jealous by people who are not the nation of God's people. Ow. He tells them right there in Isaiah, I am going to do this. Oh, sorry, that was Moses. That was Moses said that. First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. Wow. So Moses says, I'm going to make you jealous by people who are not in this nation because I'm going to accept them when I won't accept you. And then Isaiah says, yeah, I'm going to be reaching out to them. And they didn't ask for me. They didn't even know I was here. But I'm going to reach out and invade their world. I'm going to invade their life. That's why Isaiah says that the Messiah would come by Galilee of the Gentiles, by the Lake of Galilee, which was, which was swimming with foreigners and swimming with those who were half Jewish and half everything else. I'm going to come there, not in Jerusalem, not to the heart of Judaism, but to these people who did not even know I was real, who weren't sure who I was. I am going to come to them and overwhelm them with my love and my presence and my power. Isn't that what God does today? Aren't we at some point in our life sitting there wondering what's real and God overwhelms us with his presence? God completely consumes us with who he is and what he has for us. Isn't that the life that every Christian should have? First Chronicles 28, 8 and 9. Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of Yahweh, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God. This is what he's saying to Solomon. This is what he's saying to Solomon. He's letting him know what, what's going to be his key to success as a king. The commandments of Yahweh your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your fathers and serve him with a whole heart. It didn't say be a good king. It said, no, your number one thing, Solomon, you serve me with a whole heart. You be completely dedicated to who I am and what I am doing and everything else you do will succeed. Why? Why? Because if your motivation is to serve me, 
then your motivation to serve Israel will be pure, and I'll be able to work through that and move through that. And do so with a willing mind, for Yahweh searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Surprised by adoption. We were not the people of God. We were the nation that was not a nation that, that, that Moses says God is going to, to bring us in and make Israel jealous. Because their God went beyond the borders of their little country and touched the entire world. Moses said this, but by the first century, nobody even understood what he was talking about, even though Jesus was saying exactly the same thing. See, everything God said in the Old Testament, he said to prepare us to receive the Messiah. That's what's amazing to me. Know the God of your fathers and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind, for Yahweh searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. God already knows you, and still he accepts you. He knows the good and the bad. He knows the pure and the impure. He knows where you are bucking at the seams, where you're resisting what God's doing, but he also knows that if you will submit to him with a willing heart, a willing mind, he can do amazing things through you. Why do you think Solomon was so wise? Because God gave him wisdom. I think James says, you know, if, if you lack wisdom and understanding, just ask God, he'll give it to you. He'll give you what you need to live this life. But you have to ask. If you seek him, you will find him. If you disobey him, he will cast you off. That's what's going on here. We live in a world where people judge us on the outside, they judge us, and sometimes they make us judge ourselves. But if you know who you are, if you know you have been freed by the love of God from everything that you were, every mistake, every blunder, if you are filled, consumed with that faith that God is a God who answers all prayers, who leads and who guides, and if you will live in that surprise of having been brought into God's family by the very act of God himself, then nothing that anybody says can ever hurt you. Nothing that anybody ever does will diminish you because you will go back to who you are in Christ. And that is the most important thing. Amen? Let's pray.